Anybody going to show up today, puppy? Maybe it's just me and the puppy today. at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with Music and the Truth Until Dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. Welcome, everybody, to our Daily Gun Show. Come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern, where we talk about guns for at least an hour, about an hour, whatever we're calling it. Good evening. Looks like it's just Anne-Marie tonight. Uh, we go live for an hour. Our goal would be to go live overnight. So uh, we have Patreon. So we have people that subscribe to what we do. And uh, notice at the bottom of the screen here, it says uh, thanks to the people who subscribe to our projects to make it possible for us to do what we're doing. Most people are buying us a cup of coffee once a month. Some people buy us lunch and that adds up and it uh, lets us focus on our projects. Uh, so we are websites. We got lots of those. We do uh, social content, I guess you could say videos and posts and things like that. And then uh, consulting and uh, <clears throat> some uh, some activity in the uh, in the realms of Second Amendment awareness and education. So with that, uh, we go live every weeknight, and we've gone live for fifteen hundred and something episodes now. We just hit the fifteen hundredth episode not too long ago, and uh, the new co-host is sleeping tonight. He's been sleeping for a couple hours. And uh, soon we'll flip it off of him and just go back over to the screen if we need to. And uh, tonight's topic is training. We haven't talked training in a while. On Thursdays, we like to talk about training. And that can have focus. I think it did. We like to talk about training uh, and travel alternatively. So if somebody wants to talk about travel, I'll be talked into it. But if you'd like to talk about training, that's what we're here for tonight. So let's uh, start someplace. And one of the places we can start is Minuteman University. Uh, one of our projects, one of our websites. Started it in 2015 when I became the um, social media director or whatever they call it, social media guy for the Arizona Citizens Defense League, a volunteer job that I took no money for, no money at all. I volunteered for that job. And for a couple of years, many years actually, I did that job, uh, and one of the things that uh, 
we uh, talked about doing over there was putting together uh, an educational resource. Then they didn't want to do it, so I just went ahead and built it anyway. And that's what we're going to take a look at. It's called Minuteman University. I'm going to put it up on the screen here behind the puppy. I guess we'll just do this. And you can see it's on the screen here behind the puppy. And if we scroll down, let's see if I can get it with everybody in the screen. Because oh, of the lighting, I don't think I can get everybody in the screen. So we'll have to do this. Uh, but somewhere in here, uh, it gets down to activists and then uh, the industry. And somewhere underneath industry there, you're going to find firearms instructors. So we can, uh, throughout the years, I've done these illustrations of everybody so that we have some consistency. Yes, you are not an instructor, so you're not on the screen. But uh, we've done illustrations of a bunch of people in the industry, and in this case, firearms instructors. And I don't know how many this is, but it's quite a few, I guess, now that I'm looking at it. And uh, we can use this as a general guideline. But here's the thing. We go live every weeknight at midnight. We're not doing this as some kind of scripted, produced video. We're not trying to impress everybody or create a bunch of views or fame or fortune. Although I could handle some fortune, that'd be nice. Um, but uh, we're really just trying to get information across. So uh, and do it on the Internet. And using the interactive nature of the Internet, uh, there we go. Puppy's finally in his little nasty thing. You can calm down. Uh, and up behind him is where I'm looking at the comments here. So people that are joining us live, which is just Wesley and Anne-Marie tonight, uh, feel free to ask any questions you want about training, and I'll be watching them up here. Otherwise, let's just use the uh, template or outline here on uh, as a list of firearms instructors here. And I don't think, let's see, I did actually start to explore the history of firearms instruction. But I don't know how much of it I posted on the, uh, the website here. So in addition to the firearms instructors, I have uh, shooting schools listed here. Uh, doing research for various projects over the years. Uh, did some dives into some of these areas or realms of the firearms industry, right? And uh, I guess I did post some of my bullet point notes over here. So that's what I'll be using. Uh, and I'll just take a link to both of these pages. So uh, here's a link to the one set of notes we'll be using oops, tonight. And that is, uh, this one is the, uh, the laws, or I mean the schools. And then... This other one will be a link to the instructors. So the instructors give you a pretty good idea of who we're talking about, who did the stuff we're going to be talking about. But the uh, stuff that we're talking about is the evolution of firearms instruction. It's kind of neat. And uh, there are a couple of, there are a couple of, there we go. Um, videos out there that attempt to cover the history of firearms instruction, but they're difficult at, to be nice about it. They're difficult to deal with. You've got to be martial, have a martial mindset and not be skittish because most of the people are talking to other uh, 
firearms people. And these are firearms people that are either getting instructed or being instructed. So they're not holding any punches, let's say, and they're not being, uh, they're not using much grace or etiquette when they're describing uh, most of the stuff, let's put it that way. So uh, there are some, some things, some resources out there, but in a nutshell, the bullet points of it all is that in the, you know, when you think about guns existing, they uh, started out as cannons and then those cannons got smaller and smaller. And then as they got smaller, started holding them as a hand cannon. And that was uh, the original single shot derringers or single shot pistols. And uh, they were designed to be uh, large enough to have enough metal to hold the, exp the expanding gases to let the projectile get far enough and fast enough with enough mass to be useful especially as a, as a device. Oop, here's that bag of stuff and that thing the other day I'm not supposed to talk about on YouTube, so I got a thing kicked off. I'm gonna make sure none of, nothing gets seen by YouTube. Um, so you had the evolution of firearms. They go from single shot, flintlock, black powder, that kind of you know, stuff, muzzle loaders. And then eventually you get to some muzzle-loading revolvers, right? You get some chambers revolving around a cylinder. And then eventually you get to uh, board through. In fact, we're about to come up on the anniversary of the uh, guy who invented the board, board through cylinder, Roland White. And uh, once you get the board through cylinder, thanks to Smith & Wesson, you get the, and the 22 short, you get uh, cartridges, right? So... You got these cartridges and eventually you get semi-autos and thanks to Browning, he takes us from single shotguns through lever actions into full auto back to semi-auto. And then somewhere in there, he created the pump and a couple other actions, right? So you've got all these different types of evolutions of guns and, and somewhere in there, you start to see a little bit of evolution of how we shoot these guns, primarily between the types of guns. When you go from black powder muzzle loaders and you get into revolvers there's going to be some differences because of you load them differently right you're also going to hold them differently because they're less prone to blowing up in your face you're less concerned about uh, a catastrophic accident so now you're not holding the gun way out in front of your face like they did in the old days now uh you can you can pull the gun from the holster and shoot right by your, by your belly, because you're not worried about uh, having to hold the gun way out in front of you. <clears throat> and that might be the uh, 19, 18-somethings through the 1920s and 30s even. So then you start to get semi-autos, and uh, you're bringing two hands together to load magazines and to insert magazines and to drop magazines, and you've got two hands together every once in a while on a revolver to reload. And then eventually once the, uh, and I guess I should mention that all through this time, uh, there's very little instruction uh, for firearms other than manual of arms, how to clean the things, how to carry them without shooting each other for conscripts, for people who are drafted into the military, people are gonna be using firearms to go into battle. And when they're marching and stuff, they're gonna be given some instruction on how to not shoot each other or hurt each other during drill, when they're marching around the bases and forts and stuff, 
and then when they're transferring themselves to battle, and then once they're in battle, they have, you know, some kind of a, a awareness of, you know, the chaotic downrange type of situations. And then, uh, again, there's very little instruction other than marksmanship instruction, and then some counseling on till you see the whites of their eyes, but very little actual formal marksmanship instruction. And it's probably because the guns weren't all that great up until a certain point. In other words, they weren't going to get much performance anyway. And then not that many people really were into them, I think. It's hard to know because we weren't alive back then. But we certainly know that there weren't any manuals. There weren't any schools. There weren't any instructors. There were people that knew how to shoot good. There was the Annie Oakleys and a whole bunch of other people who could shoot good. And they could teach other people. And they did instruct people. But uh, each their own. And, and back then it would be a lot more of like, hold the gun up and shoot the wood. Nope. Shoot the wood. Nope. Quit missing the wood and shoot the wood. You know, they wouldn't really know how to instruct you as much as tell you what not to do from what I understand. But there was not much written down. So it's hard to know. Then you get, uh, uh, eventually starts to get military manuals and the military starts to write things down. The police start to get guns in the 1900s and then they start to create manuals at some point, the larger police departments. And then you get the uh, police in California starting to have competitions. Let's see. Um, am I missing anything? The first canine training was in 1907. Uh, you got in 1920, Fairbairn and Sykes. I don't know how to say their names right, but uh, they meet up in Singapore. Uh, in 1916, they created the crime library. Uh, in 1921, they started bringing out lie detectors. In 1921, you started getting on a database for collecting crime data at a national level. Uh, let's see, in 1934, Congress first gave agents the authority to carry firearms. And why do you think that was? Because of prohibition. Uh, in 1938, the FBI has a practical pistol course, a PPC. So in 1934, FBI starts to give their federal agents guns for the first time because of prohibition-created organized crime. So interesting. So we can see that FBI has a pistol course. Uh, in 1942, Shooting to Live was published. And I probably should have link to that one shooting to live uh is sykes and fairbairn okay so these two dudes are police and they go to singapore and they get in tons of fist fights and gun fights and knife fights lots of them lots of them and by 1942 they're like world experts on street fighting and then uh, World War II happens and they teach everybody in the OSS how to street fight. And that's how the French knife the shit out of Nazis and whatnot. So that's how everybody starts to learn how to shank everybody and fight dirty, so to speak. Break people's tracheas and just bleed them out. All the fun stuff you learn when you're really killing people. Uh, so that stuff starts to become an art form in 42 in 56, the NRA starts, uh, reinstates Camp Perry, which hadn't existed since like the 1700s or something, like the early 1900s. The national matches uh, start in 1900. So it isn't until 
1956 that those start again. So they, they crapped out at some point. You get the modern canine for the police in 1956. And let's see, uh, NRA Police Firearms Instructor Certification Program was introduced in 1960. Right, so somewhere in there, I would think, is when we start to see, uh, let's let's start to bring in some of their stuff. So I'm just kind of going through some police stuff, but that gives you an idea of like the introduction and the pace at which police get into it. And now, what happened to my other thing? We're gonna go back to, come on, man. I thought I had, uh, all right, whatever. I'm just going to open up the uh, instructor thing over here. Oh, I'm not screen sharing, am I? You're just looking at a dog this whole time. All right, so we're going back to the instructors. I'm going to cross-reference. I'm actually looking at this screen. So I'm going to cross-reference the uh, instructor's bios. So you get Church and Wingate and the other guy. And these are the guys that create the NRA in the 1700s. And these people, these three dudes, well, two of them, right, co-found Galaxy Magazines, which was published by, or which published Mark Twain back in the olden days. And then this guy starts the National Rifle Association, right? And then meets with Wingate and they decide to create military manuals on marksmanship. And this is 1871. So I shouldn't say 1700. It's 1871. So pre 1900, these guys are out there going, let's create the NRA and marksmanship. Let's create military marksmanship. Ed McGivern is an exhibition shooter. So he's a dude who's Andy Oakley. And then you know, he ran around shooting things fast. Then you get Sykes and Fairbairn. There's those guys that go to Singapore and learn how to knife fight. You get Elmer Keith who comes along and what's his deal? Uh, he was an inspector at the uh, Utah Arsenal, the Ogden Arsenal in Utah, and he inspected most of the Garens, I guess, during World War II. And uh, then he, of course, invented the 357, the 44, and the 41 Magnum, but He's not much. Uh, let's see. Then you get Cooper. And that's what I was looking for. So in 1941, Cooper's in the Marines. And of course, he learns the Sykes and Fairbairn way of fighting. Then he starts in 1957, the shooting competitions in California. So if we compare that back here to the police stuff, the police didn't get the NRA firearms instructor certification until 1960. So sometime before the NRA even started doing police certification. So potentially there was just a bunch of regional or city you know, department level certifications out there, probably with little uniformity. Um, I don't know if there was any need for it because people were still figuring out if, you know, that shooting that training was a thing. You get uh, Jeff Cooper out here doing the shooting competitions, and somewhere in those shooting competitions, people start to get worried about being better at shooting. And I don't know if people just didn't care before that, or if this is when people just started writing it down. And Jeff Cooper obviously wrote everything down. So, um, yeah, you get the Southwest Pistol League, and somewhere in there in the 1950, right around 60, that's when 
uh, Weaver started pulling out his gun, his pistol, his revolver actually, and then using two hands and shooting with an isosceles or his Weaver stance and winning. And then everybody goes, oh, you can put two hands together on a pistol. And that is one point in the evolution of people writing stuff down. Because as soon as people started putting two hands together on the gun, you became, oh, I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. Right now you had your first rift, like literally the beginning of training was was just catalyzing, was just becoming a crystallizing, you know, and then at the same time, the rift started. Oh, I'm not going to put two hands together. That's crazy. Well, I'm going to put two hands together because that's faster. It worked better. So that's where you start to see the beginning of what we have today. So Jeff Cooper, and I don't see, I need to, I don't really need to, I was trying to chart this. So Cooper is doing the shooting competitions, figures out that there's ways to get better, starts to get into that. And he's also a writer and everything. So he comes out with, uh, well, he helps create the uh, IPSC and starts a pistol school. And of course, what I don't write when he started the pistol school on here. Great. Uh, so he founded Gunsight in 1976, American Pistol Institute. So in the 60 or so, he, you know, was there, kind of created, fostered the development of modern pistol craft. And then by 76, he buys the property and starts Gunsight. The first instructors at Gunsight are hanging out and seeing that there's a, a type of instruction and there's a mindset and strategy and tactics and everything else for 1911s, predominantly some revolvers. And then, because everybody had gone from single action revolvers to some double action revolvers, and then a bunch of people jumped to 1911s. And then, you know, some people went to Wonder Nines, but not very many. And then, uh, uh, you know, this was at that point. So most people are carrying around 1911s or some kind of revolver. And those at first instructors either break off or decide to wander. So instead of being instructors at the school permanently, and I don't know what the details are there, it'd be interesting to have somebody who knows tell you or have somebody who doesn't know ask the people involved because most of them are still kicking. And uh, for some reason, some of those first instructors took off and or just started to wander and did instruction. And some of those people we know today, Ken Hackathorn, uh, um, Masada Yub, Clint Smith. So the first instructors are the people who we know today as being the, the, the granddaddies of this whole thing. And then those guys took off into four corners and, and started to instruct in different places. And then they were instructing cops and military and regular people who are either in competition or just interested in this whole thing. They were writing books, all of them, and people were reading those books. And then in the 
Hmm, how would they have done it back in the day? Meeting up and going to competitions, things like IPSC and other things that were competitions were more important back then because there were no forums, but people would go to these forums and they would develop and learn and watch from each other and go home and practice and remember incorrectly and practice something differently than what was really being done. And, you know, things evolved and just happened in a different pace and in a different way until you started to get to newsletters and Get more get-togethers and more established books and journals and you know magazines and stuff and then eventually the internet tv shows probably and then the internet so you get all this kind of stuff in the different um let's say arts the different styles you know somebody shoots i think one of the best ways to describe it is uh chris costa who uh has a, a unique way of, of instruction if you he'll explain it i'm gonna try to summarize it he'll explain it that if you have <clears throat> uh let's go grab chris from the lister if you've got uh three seconds to take a shot chris is going to suggest that you get into position in less than a second so that you got two and a half seconds to aim does that make sense where somebody else might say take two seconds to get into position so that you can take your best quick shot so people are going to have different opinions and different ways of, of doing stuff, right? Um, so we've got these instructors. They're out there doing their, their different things. And that's where Cooper turns into Tom. Well, it's, um, these aren't all from Cooper. But I think Ken Hackathorn, Pat Rogers, Louis, Ar Louis Arbach, Masada, you... Clint Smith, Ed Head, and I don't know about John Farnham, but all of these guys are all from Jeff Cooper. And then, yep, inspired by Jeff Cooper. So, you know, either inspired or worked for Jeff Cooper. And then you get things along the way, like the holsters are developed, first leather and then Kydex hybrids. You get uh, flashlights and uh, different, all the techniques that we have today probably originated in that time between the 60s, 70s, and then the 80s and 90s when the internet started. And that's when you get this group of instructors coming out, right? And this group of instructors taught a bunch of cops and taught a bunch of competition shooters. And then they taught a bunch of some military people and then what happened? Well, 9-11 and then the global war on terror started to happen. So now you have soldiers who are actually doing stuff instead of peacetime for a lot of years during um, after Cooper teaches all these guys. There's peacetime everywhere. Nobody's doing nothing anywhere. People with experience had experience from Vietnam like Pat Rogers. People had experience from like the Korean War era, right? that kind of stuff. Like nobody had any real wartime except for maybe the war on drugs. So now you get the war on drugs and what do you got there? A lot of cops who are getting tons of experience. So think of somebody like Pat Rogers who had military experience and then just tons of SWAT experience in New York, tons of SWAT raids in New York during peacetime decades, Cold War era. So you've got the most of your experience coming from law enforcement and it's either border patrol immigration or war on drugs 
and then maybe a couple of other things, a lot of training in things like nuclear protection and other things, but you know, very little actual stuff happening because it's peacetime. So you get a lot of people who are learning from old experience with the technology that's changing. They're developing technology. So Ken Hackathorn and Pat Rogers and Jeff Cooper all also created IPSIC or IDPA. So they while there's no wars, there's no experience being made on a battlefield, uh, and there's very little experience being made in law enforcement, they're gaining experience through educate, through training and then through scenario type of stuff. So somewhere in here, these instructors start to hate each other, like each other, learn from each other, respect each other, and they all have a mutual understanding because they're all kind of in a finite world here for a long time. Then you start to get some other, um, it's just from time and other experiences. We're competition shooters. George Thompson is uh, ju verbal judo. Ten Dennis Tuller is the 21 foot rule. Law enforcement wrote an article, Glock armor instructor, and you know, becomes part of the industry in a whole big way. Craig Douglas is South Narc, uh, narcotics. Um, uh, officer who uh, teaches hand-to-hand -hand knives and stuff. You got Kathy Jackson, the corner, uh, cornered cat. So you get all these people who are coming in from different levels of experience that are different than this first crew and kind of the middle generation. You got Marty Hayes, career as law enforcement, becomes an attorney, starts the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. Um, so you've got all these different people, uh, Rick Actor. No, not Rick Hector, what was I looking at? Oh, I guess I don't have Ken uh, Blanchard in here. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got this era that's probably in their prime in the 90s. Then what's happening? Those law enforcement are out there getting experience. The military are getting experience and they're coming out. You know, how long are you in one of those roles? You're coming out of those roles and now you start to get your Chris, your what's-his-face, who worked with Chris over at Magpul. Um, Steve wasn't in, but, you know, he's that age. So you start to get this next level of guys who had been in and may had some a little bit of experience and then get out and start to instruct as apprentices, I guess, or, you know, the the student instructors of some of these guys. And now some of these guys are passing. And most of these guys are still either instructing or starting to slow down. Then you get the people who are coming out of the global war on terror, who've had the experience of training with this group, let's say, get Uncle Sam paid them to learn with some of these guys. And then they came out and learned with some of these guys, or maybe paid some of their own money to work with some of these guys and gals. And then, decided, okay, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring too. And I don't have that many of these in here, but there's a lot. This is not an, an all-inclusive list. There's a lot in this realm. And what you also get out of this realm is all the swell of CCW carriers. You get the different states that are getting CCW. Then they're getting constitutional carry and they're getting open carry. And there's political and 
social stress and, and, and influence for fear and people are starting to buy firearms and taking classes and being more comfortable. You get the DC project, which is, uh, and the other female uh, focused uh, organizations that are reducing the barrier to new gun owners all over the place, just all over the place. So the next level starting in like 2015, you have a wave of global war on terror. You've got a new wave of, you had the initial wave of female instructors who learned from the very few initial female instructors. And now you've got legions of competent female instructors coming out of projects like Girl in a Gun <clears throat> with Robin Sandoval's project or uh, Well-Armed well, Women of America now. So uh, lots and lots of, I don't know what to call it now, just there's competency that there's never been. There's, I don't want to say diversity because that seems lame, but there's people carrying in all different kinds of ways and all different kinds of scenarios and for all different kinds of reasons. And there's people that can give competent instruction to those folks. Uh, and then there's tons of bad instruction. There can't, there's always been bad instruction, but there has to be, if there's always 10% bad instruction, there has to be so much more now because there's just so much training in general. So that's a kind of a rundown of where we're at with uh, where we got. So it all kind of started in the 50s and we're, you know, so it's kind of our lifetime. At least people that are a little bit older than me, you could, they could literally have lived through most of at least modern firearms development, at least firearms training development. And it gets pretty interesting and it is possible to see it all. Now I haven't found a book that covers it all. Part of one of my projects is going to be um, to uh, try to summarize all of this, uh, to put it from the bird's eye view. So I think it is kind of interesting. It also, a lot of people have weird opinions. There's people that hate training and I don't know if training hurt them or it hit them a bunch of times when they were younger, or if they stepped on some piping hot training at one point, you know, and they've just been averse to it their whole lives. Um, but for some reason, people have real interesting uh, opinions about it. And it's, of all the things I've done in firearms, it's one of the more interesting aspects of it. Uh, the people that are involved are both some of the biggest D-nozzles out there, and then some of the most respectable people I've ever met, like literally some of the best people I know are instructors. So uh, it's they definitely run the gambit. So for people to suggest that they're uh, all bad or something, just it's un, un, I don't understand. Uh, so every once in a while, I attempt to uh, do something like this to go through, I guess it's only taken a half an hour this time, to kind of go through and attempt to summarize my understanding of where we are with firearms instruction. Now, there must be some other levels to this, the Olympic level instruction. I'm sure they were handing down tips and tricks and stuff to each other over the years. After all, the uh, Olympics, the modern Olympics started with firearms. Uh, so there's always been firearms events in the Olympics, all those different shooting sports. Yeah, yeah, the NRA and their marksmanship training started in 1870s, and it did you know, continue all the way through. Some of our oldest organizations at the state level are rifle and pistol associations. 
All right, well, I said uh, if people wanted to participate, I ranted there for a bit, but uh, we're not seeing a lot of participation tonight. Uh, apologize for everybody that might have showed up last night. Uh, real IRL, as the kids would say, in real life got in the way. So I do have some real questions. Okay, so I found a question here. We'll start starring them. And let's see. Just two? If anybody has any other questions. I'm done ranting now. So feel free to uh, put in uh, any questions you might have. Woods is wrong. This guy is falling, so don't listen to Woods. He doesn't even know. Um, so Anne-Marie asked earlier... Being go away. Since I'm a newbie, should I practice drawing, standing, sitting, laying down, all scenarios? Um, so, I mean, it's like driving a car, or it's like, uh, I guess it's like driving a car for me at least. Maybe like riding a bike. I don't know how that's too long ago for me to remember, but uh, it's like getting responsibility for something for the first time. You want to feel like you're mastering it. And you want to take it seriously for sure, but uh, you're, you're going to want to master it and it's just not possible, you know, so as an adult it's carrying around a firearm for the first time, you know, you've had experience doing other things for the first time, um, it's going to take you some time to get super comfortable with it, so I would give yourself some amount of time to get comfortable with it. I'm going to try to chart this. I don't know if this answers your question or if this is just a tangent, but as far as I know, there's only one other question, so I'm going to take some time to to do something I've been wanting to do. And I don't know if this is going to work or not. So I'm going to try doing it on the cheap and we'll see if it works. But I'm just going to open up a Word document here wherever I can find it and shove it back over here. And I think there's a, a progress or like a, there's a flow chart. Oh, I probably should use some kind of cool flow chart software. There's a, there's a number of options that you're going to go through. Is it good over why have I gone it so much? Do we, um, I think we've done this before though. So you uh, are thinking about buying a gun or owning a gun, right? Or maybe you came from uh, always had other people's guns in the house. Right, so coming from one of those kind of options, and then you finally make a decision to uh, buy uh, your first one. And, you know, some people are going to, uh, to make this decision. Some people are going to ask. Some people are going to research. Some people are just going to gamble, right? Some people are going to listen to a salesman because they know better. You know, they, they live there or they work there. Uh, some people are going to just do it off a of cost or budget, I guess. Right? So there's going to be all these different reasons why somebody purchases it in the first place. And I guess somewhere in here, um, there's also... Man, I'm getting this thing all spelled wrong. It's freaking out. Okay, so... Uh, I don't know if I should put in here the reasons why somebody's going to get one, but you know, you're going to get one out of fear. Maybe you're going to get one out of uh, 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 an investment. Can't imagine how many people, I don't think most, I don't think people understand how many people buy guns just 
because they know they're going to be worth something in the future. And uh, they're a cool thing to own, and you can go buy it and own it, and it's got a serial number on it right away. So there's just a lot of people that buy guns and never even shoot them. Uh, so there's the investment. There's probably other reasons, right? So there's, there's going to be these reasons why people get it. And then they finally get their first one, right? And then some people are going to shoot it. And then some people are going to probably just store it someplace, right? Those investment peoples, uh, people that weren't comfortable in the first place. Um, uh, I'm going to just say store it, I guess. So, you know, you're going to buy the thing and then some people are going to do different things once you've got it. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is people got all these different reasons to want to buy one. And then the one thing they all have in common is they buy their first gun. So some people are going to buy it at a store and they're going to make sure they got paperwork on it and they're going to ask all the questions and they're going to make sure that they have everything figured out before they do it and it's going to be a big deal and they're going to make sure that they read a bunch of stuff about it and then other people are going to do some other version. Some people are going to go to the extreme of like, oh, I'm going to make sure I buy one from my friend or something. I'm going to buy one from a, an ad. I don't want to make sure there's no paperwork on it. I don't want anybody to know I got this gun. It's going to, you know, I can't let my spouse know or my kids or my parents or whatever it might be. You know, I'm going to buy this thing. I can't let my employer know. I can't let my little puppy know. Right? Who knows what the person's deal is. Um, that being said, I don't think I have uh, the puppy cam on here right now. Wait, do I not have? Oh, I can't have the puppy cam when I'm just using my cam. I wonder the puppy cam couldn't come up. All right, so uh, like I say, there's going to be all these different reasons why people get one. And then somewhere in there, I'm not going to go too far on a tangent here other than to say, like, I've been trying to come up with this... Uh, way to visualize this thing because then once you buy this gun you're going to go on your journey right so like i say you're going to initially do whatever you're going to do and then some people are going to buy more guns right and some people are going to never buy another gun again they're going to sell it and never buy one again some people are going to keep it and they got their gun and they're gun experts right there's all these different ways of doing it so I think that uh, knowing that, the reason I'm explaining all this, knowing that there's like a ton of different things to do, there is no way. There's no thing to do with it. Um, I don't even know. You know, you, you'd have to know somebody pretty well to say, here's what you should do, right? So as far as the answering the question there, at the pace that you find it appropriate, do more than what most people are going to suggest to do. So I am trying to say, yeah, for sure. Do all those things, but don't do them right away. There's no need to do them right away because there's no need to do them. In, in reality, most people are never going to need to use a gun ever unless you want to go shooting with it or something. But as far as like a defensive thing, that's like lightning. Like unless you live in circumstances that are different than the norm, you're never going to need this thing. Now, if you are one of the people that are affected by the outlying situation where you might need it, then having the ultimate amount of you know, knowledge and skill would be great, right? So let's talk about driving. Everybody who's listening to this probably owns a car. If you don't own one, 
you can own one, you just choose not to, right? Literally, or for some reason, you know, you're decided not to own one right now. But for the most part, everybody who is listening to this can own a car or does own a car. You might own more than one car, at least over the years you've owned more than one car. And if you started owning your car, like a lot of us did when you're young, right, little kid, then uh, you either took that level of responsibility very seriously or you took it very recklessly, like an old person would have said, you're reckless, right? So that's your experience with your car. I can guarantee you, I'm almost positive I'm going to win this bet. No one has gone out and gotten extra car training. No one has gotten any kind of car defensive driving. No one, unless you had to, has gone to any kind of legal driving situation. And where do most car accidents or where do most accidents come from? Cars. Where does most lawsuits and legal stuff come from? The results of car accidents. Where do we walk around with our fragile mammal skin bodies with breakable skeletons in them? And we just walk around without any kind of barriers next to cars that are driven by 16-year-olds who are listening to phones, who are playing on the phones. We don't care about that. We go, eh, they've got to be responsible, not break, you know, not run into us or the old lady or the little kids. Like, we live in a world where we're so accustomed to massive awareness and abilities that we we fall to the BS marginalization, the, the moving of the Overton window that guns are the most dangerous thing on the planet and that even considering wanting a gun makes you evil. That's either ultimate naive, like they're, they can use the excuse that they're completely ignorant, like ignorant to the point that they're, they're useless in society because they have such a lack of, of awareness or they're lying to everybody and they understand that knives and poison and gravity and vicious animals and poisonous animals are all part of every day and that every single one of us lives in more danger from our vehicles than anything else. So to answer the question, we should all be getting defensive driving classes. We should at least watch videos on how to be better drivers. We should all know how to drive in rain and in a dust storm and in a blizzard, even though we don't drive in those, right? So that's what I'm getting at. Firearms instruction, firearms training is super cool. Like literally, like let's say you're going to, what, any part of firearms training is either military or uh, police surplus. It comes from military or police developing it. A little tiny bit of it is from competition shooting. And all of it gets recycled into competition shooting, but it all gets honed on the battlefield or where the SWAT teams are doing their thing, which is essentially a battlefield. So it all gets honed in combat, right? And then it comes back to go to instructors and then they take the pieces that can apply to defensive or to uh, get off of me type of scenarios, right? So everything we're learning is, is military surplus. And I could just kind of try to explain there. The military surplus is not like in the olden days where it was like, well, 
you know, back in World War II, they did it this way. And honestly, in World War II, it was either cut somebody so that they bleed into their own lungs so that it doesn't leave a big mess, right? And that you kill that sentry and move on with the world, right? It, that's not quite how you're going to dispatch somebody when they're trying to rob you. So some of that World War II stuff is interesting, but it doesn't quite apply to the rules of engagement of a regular human. You don't kill somebody for trying to rob you. You can tell them to get away from you and you can stop them from hurting you, right? But you, you're not doing some of the stuff that the OSS was doing in war times. So uh, anyhow, so some of the stuff you're not gonna apply, but uh, a lot of the stuff isn't anywhere near that. It's just, it's, it's the basics over and over and over. It's the basics eight times a night. It's the basics when all hell breaks loose and it's chaos. It's the basics when it's boredom and you have to immediately get called to action. It's just the basics until you can't do it wrong. And, and that part of it is infinitely fascinating to hear six different people. And I'll use the analogy that I've used before. Uh, if, if you're gonna learn from somebody in the Navy, they're gonna point their guns up because they're scared of poking a hole in their boat. But if you're gonna learn from somebody in the Army, we're gonna point our guns down because we don't wanna shoot our helicopters engines, right? Which are up in the air. Neither one of us is wrong. It's just that we got taught different stuff, right? So the, the parts that you can learn from people are super neat. Some people, here, let's go through the list here and take a look at some of the instructors that have existed. We start out with, oh, we can't look at this in a We start off with, Oh, see, there's no way to cram him and the pictures into the same thing. Just can't be done. So we start off with uh, Colonel and General, right, from Civil War or whatever it was. And then the 1870s, they start NRA and marksmanship training. And then you get uh, some of these guys who are instructors, Sykes and Fairbain, teach the Marines and everybody else how to dispatch everybody. And then World War II ends with their help. You get uh, Jeff Cooper coming along and teaching or creating an environment where people learn how to shoot with two hands and, and all the modern pistol stuff takes us from revolvers into to modern pistols. Michael Harries is bringing up a flashlight and using a flashlight with the firearm. Uh, Tom Gibbons is range master, was a uh, incubator for instructors at a time when that was necessary, Pat Rogers. A traveling instructor bringing competent um, carbine and pistol uh, fighting to uh, to the masses, so to speak, to lots and lots of law enforcement out there. Uh, Ken Hackathorn, uh, competition guy, Louis Arbrock from South Africa, shotgun guy, I think. I don't know. Asada you bringing his expert witness and like author level. Uh, uh, expert level, um, I don't know how to say it, like get, uh, information transfer just at another level. I haven't been to one of Clint Smith's stuff, but I think you've seen enough of Clint Smith's videos and stuff to get an understanding of what a character he is. Totally confident carbine instructor. Uh, Ed, uh, John, again, these are instructors who come from the schools of Jeff Cooper and are bringing that 
mindset through the years, right? Like anybody can be old and remember the old ways, but somebody who sticks with it and keeps going through the wonder nines and all the students bring in little stupid 380s and the Caltechs and everything else and still instructing, like that's that's where you get these guys. Uh, again, Craig Douglas doing uh, grappling and knife work and like... Um, once the fight turns into a street brawl, you got Dennis Tuller trying to stop you from that, keeping awareness and trying to an understanding of 21 feet, you know, how far away that can be. George Thompson is all about verbal judo, how to de-escalate, how to be aware and use verbal to stop the thing from even happening. I forget what Ron Avery's thing is. He a shoot fast guy? I feel like he's a shoot fast guy. I don't know what all these new guys are. Um, Rob Latham is another one who shoots fast. Of course, Rick Ector's whole nother thing, just, you know, instructing females and uh, people in Detroit for decades now. Chris, uh, just a super cool dude, did a ton of cool stuff. And then out there uh, being a total character, able to be a massive character at a time when other people would have, been crushed by the way the internet was without chris uh, in a different world without chris we'd have a different meaner internet that bullies wouldn't have been slapped back i don't know how many people know what i'm talking about but there's uh chris is is a singularity as far as uh just owning the abuse the the bullies on the internet just really interesting dude uh, I didn't put James's up here ever because I know him too much and I could never, I can't, it, Steve's is the same way. Same with Chris, all of these people that I know. I can't, I, I don't do good cartoons of people that I know. So I never put James up here, but James is again, um, completely, you know what I mean? Like totally different environment than back in the day. Uh, <clears throat> Jeff Cooper had a big, had a big following and had a had a um, um, what's the word a curriculum or like a uh, yeah I think curriculum like a method of teaching that you know his his are the four color codes of mental awareness like his are the four rules of gun or the five color codes are his the four gun safety rules are Jeff Cooper he invented all that stuff we use all that stuff so there's a bunch of people that understand that Jeff was like on the ball, he knew what he was talking about and they kept his um, his methods and his uh, drills and stuff and his mindset going. And then you've got like a tried to mention here, a bunch of different people doing different things. You know, James is coming in from the nineties through again, same way with Chris, like just the internet would be different. The world would be different if we didn't have James and Chris doing their thing. Cause we'd have people like Pincus and others doing their thing. It would be a different place. So uh, uh, James, again, mindset, uh, tactics, wait, mindset, skill, tactics, gear. No, mindset, tactics, skill, skill, I forget which one's mindset. I can't remember if tactics or skill came first, but mindset and then gear last. And every single thing that they did over there, tactical response was with that mindset, this total uh book of the five rings uh so again this is 
the kind of stuff that I can't recommend enough taking this kind of stuff. The stuff I can't even tell you. I would need an hour to tell you the level of nuance, the level of stuff you're going to learn from a tactical response class and how that would be different than what you're going to get at a Chris Costa class. Uh, James's class, or I guess the tactical response classes, are about challenging your mindset. Are you even really a gun fighter? Like, are you? Yeah, that's that was, that was a challenge. You accomplish something coming through a tactical response. Chris, he's more of a different thing. He's he's teaching somebody who already is competent as a, as a gun shooter to think about it as a three-second scenario. And if you can get to a stable shooting situation in one second, then you get two seconds to evaluate and shoot. And if you don't think of it that way, then you got to think of it as how long does it take you to get to the ground? And then how long do you get left to shoot? And you're, it's just a different mindset, a different way of thinking about it. Um, so, you know, you go into to, to do something with Rick is going to be at a whole different level. But honestly, the instruction is going to be the same. Trigger, sights, breathing, decision making. That's about it. So... You know, whether you're doing that with a martial attitude, whether you're doing that with a time ergonomic, that kind of thing, or whether you're doing it to empower ladies who are experiencing something for the first time, right? Like everybody's got these different, uh, you know, different things that they're, they're different layers of it, different areas of it. So, um, getting into training is infinitely interesting. So uh, it's more like, it's, it's a lot like learning guitar or learning martial arts. You know, some of these are teaching karate. Some of them are teaching Kung Fu. Some of them are teaching Taekwondo. Some of them got swords and some of them uh, are like the karate kid, right? But you don't have to learn it all. It's just that they're all different and they're not all good. Some of them are lame, right? Some of them are suck. But for the most part, there's a lot to learn here. And, and if you're not satisfied with one or you've gotten enough of one, you can go try something else. Or if you just want to sample a bunch of things, there's like that option. Um, but when all said and done, it's a lot like martial arts or guitar because you're going to get better and better and better. And if you know how to do judo and karate and taekwondo, whenever you go to learn MMA or something, you're going to be really good at it. You know, if you've already learned guitar and you've learned uh, Spanish guitar and jazz guitar and rock and roll, when you go to learn blues, you're going to have a pretty good idea. You probably already know most of it, right? So uh, it's that kind of thing. There's a lot of fun out there. Now there's the level of, let's say it's martial arts or let's say it's because it is martial arts. But let's say that it's uh, music. You go to a bunch of different guitar instructors and take a bunch of different guitar classes more than likely you're going to meet a whole bunch of different guitar players who are also interested in playing guitar all the time or are interested in talking to people about any length of time you're going to find people that are at the same pace and at the same place you are so, so that's the fun part about training. And the people that never go and only see it from the outside are hand-picking horrible examples or lame stuff. And then they ram that around like if that's all there is. 
and and it's not. It's the same as uh, well, it's a lot of a lot of things with guns. You know, the I start talking about the ranges. Each one of these instructors either travels to and from a range, or they have their own range. So if we look at these shooting schools again, uh, we looked at the kind of the history of police training there. But if we start to look at the schools, we got Camp Perry, which um, 300 acres opened up in 1906. There were ones before that, but they don't exist anymore. Then you got Gunsight, that was Cooper's. That's 3,000 acres out here in Arizona, started in 1976. You got the Mid-South Institute, uh, that is um, from 1981. You got uh, uh, Masada Ayub started Lethal Force Institute in 1981, four years before the Olympic shooting became USA shooting. Uh, Rogers School was established in 1986. Insight, Thunder Ranch, 93. Uh, the Six Hour Academy opened in uh, 96. Range Master opened in 96 with, with Tactical Response opened in 96. Front Sight, all these opened in 96, right? Uh, Academy, <coughs> uh, I think that's Blackwater. Uh, you got uh, Universal Shooting Academy. These are all ranges, and these all uh, are well. These all represent, I guess, what I'm looking for: either an instructor or a couple of instructors, or like they are a place that instructors can show up at because a couple of these instructors don't have a permanent place and then a couple of them only go to their own permanent place so anyway so once you start getting into training now you can go to places you start to go to cool places to do these classes you meet cool people at the classes and then you learn cool stuff you know from the class now when you go to the range you're not wasting ammo like if I wanted to go shoot ammo right now, I got like a thousand drills. I've probably forgotten more drills that are useful than some people are ever going to try to even learn drills. So some people go to the range and they try to shoot at the center of the target. Or maybe they go to the range and they try to shoot the center of the target a little bit quicker. Or maybe they go to the range and they draw and shoot at the center of the target. There's a lot more than that. There's a lot more than that. So uh, you can... You, you're going to go to these classes, you're going to experience the basics, which is the stuff we already talked about, and then you're going to uh, see this, the ways that the instructors get this information across, the types of people who show up and, and experience the community, at least that part of the community to some extent. And then you start to go to the range, and when you're at the range and you're practicing a drill from XYZ or a, a some strategy you learn from somebody else or something you read about that somebody else is doing. And now somebody else at the range says, hey, what are you doing over there? You either start a conversation or turns out the person you're talking to at the range was uh, uh, an alumni at some other school. One of the coolest things with, with anything, with if we were talking about music, if we were talking about uh, anything, the way you learn is to teach. So going to classes and, and experiencing firearms education, you end up understanding how to teach, right? You've, you've at least, ex you'll experience methods of teaching. 
And when you go home to your spouse, your parents, your kids, your friends, whoever it is, now you can uh, attempt, and the first times it's going to be sloppy and shitty, but you're going to attempt to relay what you learned. And as you go to more classes or as you have more time on the clock, you're just going to get better and better at that. So now you go to a class and you come home from the class and you're teaching two or three friends what you learned at the class and you're going to get better and better at that. They're going to get more and more from your instruction. You're going to reinforce what you learned even more and more. I could get into it and I could get into it. Going to classes, taking your classroom notes, sending them to yourself as certified mail so that you sign for them and then never open them. Having that as uh, being admissible in court and allowing the, a competent instructor to instruct your jury. So now they're literally a jury of your peers. People don't talk about the long-term repercussions of preparation and awareness. So that's what we're really talking about. Ultimately taking you know, massive responsibility for what we're talking about here. You know, real awareness of the implications of everything. And then once understanding that, having some fun with uh, with the depth of what all there is. Like I say, there's there's different types of guns, there's different ways to do them. And then over time, instead of getting watered out and gross and like weak soup, it's gotten the, the we've had more and more flavors added and more and more uh, ingredients put in and instead of everybody separating and being standoffish, people train with each other and they, the seals are learning from the little old ladies and the little old ladies are learning from the, the I don't know, the cops and you know, this and there's learning from that and this is learning from that. So it's uh, not everywhere, not always, but a lot of them are. And then there's people who are in professional students, the people that the same way that you're probably listening to this and you you listen to a couple of people when you watch the internet or whatever. Um, you listen to a couple of people on your podcast. There's people that go to instruction, that go to firearms classes like that. And it might not be forever, but it might be for a few years. And those people that are the that part of our community, that part of our industry, that are the students, the, I don't say professional students, because some people literally do get paid to go to classes. Um, you know, if you're in a department or in some kind of a unit and you're getting paid to go to a class, I guess you're technically a professional student, but there's people that just find so much interest and such value in taking firearms instruction or going to firearms instruction that uh, they become a significant portion of that part of our industry. And I can tell you, there were years where we wouldn't be in the place we were today if it weren't for software engineers and doctors a couple of pilots who would fill classes for people who were traveling instructors so that they could do all the things we just talked about. Uh, practice their trade, develop and learn. For every class that had six software developers, doctors, and pilots in it, it would have 12 border patrol guys in it. And the 12 border patrol guys might not be able to attract the class you know, at whatever rate they're paying, but the people paying full price to join them were making it possible for the class to exist or you know, for the class to happen. And now that instructor gets that level of experience, all those students get that level of experience, and then they take that on to their next classes. I can tell you, I'm still 
running on fuel that I got at uh, classes that I took here in Arizona, you know, in the before 2009, 2006, seven, and eight. Um, just the awareness and the, the, you know, yeah, having the veil removed to see just how much there is out there for training. I only wish I would have done it more when I was younger and I could have taken more of it for free when Uncle Sam was paying for it. But uh, it didn't all exist until kind of like I say, the kind of stuff had to evolve for a while there. All right. Well, with that, I uh, kind of went off on a tangent there with, uh, you know, what to shoot. So I'm not going to be the person that says, don't learn anything cool, because that's weak. That's weak ass sauce. Um, and then I'm not going to say jump right into it because that's just naive, right? So get into it just like karate. If the, if the, if the kid is saying, I want to learn swords, yeah, guess what? You got to learn punching first and then you can learn some kicking. And once you're kicking people on the, while you're running around the gym or whatever, then we can start talking about some swords. So yes, you can get into where you're learning all that stuff. Anybody tells you you can get into that stuff quick, you know, be hesitant. All right. Were there any other questions? Let's see. Anybody know any good training rifle not banned by Massachusetts? That's a good question. A good training rifle. I think a good training rifle is probably an AR-15 because it's all around and blah, blah, blah. But you're in Massachusetts. So <clears throat> here's what I'm going to say. And this might be a little bit controversial, but uh, lever action will be fine. Uh, because you're in Massachusetts and not too many people are going to bug you about a lever action. Uh, the lever action's worked for a long, 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 long time. Very long time until semi-autos became a bigger thing than they are. But uh, yeah, they're, they're not as awesome as a semi for sure. But in a state like Massachusetts, they can do you some, they can make it worth your while. Uh, they're not going to bother people as much either. Um, and they're better than a shotgun. But that being said, there's plenty of semis that you can get that um, probably listening to Cape Gunworks more intently. I would have retained more of them. I know that they've mentioned quite a few of the things that are, you know, not AR clones. Um, I think is a scar one of the ones you can have. If you can have a scar, get a scar. I mean, they're not cheap, but scars are solid. They're just too expensive. But that's probably a bad question. So are there good rifles? Yes. Um, but since I don't know the boundaries, once you find out a couple that are in the realm, feel free to ask me and I'll give you an actual answer because I don't get paid to make you buy one. I have no interest if you buy one or not. I'd rather have you not buy 10 guns that are lame. There's a lot of people that will just tell you to buy whatever because they got nothing else to lose. It's your money. And I mean, I've owned a lot of lame guns. I'm kind of scared to admit it. I've owned a lot of lame guns just because they, not where the guns weren't lame necessarily. They just weren't what I wanted, but I was too dumb at the time to just save my money and wait. So I just bought stuff because I could. And yeah, I don't like them. They're lame. So, uh, um, Anyway, I think a lot of people do that, and then they're afraid to uh, talk smack about their own stuff, so they want to justify everything. Um, I'm assuming. I don't know. Uh, I have a 12-gauge Winchester 
fair priced. You know, I'm not the big fan of shotguns. Like I say, I'm not the same as everybody. I don't think shotguns are that great. There's Gizzard out there. Good evening. I sent out a bunch of invitations yesterday, and then I wasn't able to show up for the show, so uh, didn't send out any invitations or any links today. Uh, let's see. Didn't know that the gun started out as a single-shot cannonball. Oh, yeah. Started out as a cannon, really, actually just a hole in the rock, and they would make it go make noise, and then somebody's figured out, hey, if I carry around that rock, I can carry it around. So they made it smaller, and then eventually really small, and then they stuck it on a stick, and then it became a gun. As soon as they stuck it on a stick, I think that's the first gun. Let's see. I think everyone should, Tara San, I think everyone should shoot primarily with both hands, but practice each hand on occasion. You never know when you'll need the skill, like MMA, learn multiple methods, for sure. But uh, I'm not, I don't care if you use both hands or not, use one hand as much as you want. Definitely be able to shoot your gun with both hands. I mean, with either hand and then with both hands. You will shoot better with both hands for sure, but uh, I think your tendency is to shoot with both hands, most people. Let's see, Woods just says, before you left, all my gun purchases funds will go to finally getting training. All my gun purchases funds will go to finally getting training. Likely start a CCW or start with CCW classes, likely throw first aid in there too. Trains is far more than guns. Hmm. So CCW classes, I'm actually, I think of my CCW class experiences, and I've taken maybe 14 of them, I think, as a collection. Um, I mean, I recommend doing it, taking CCW classes, especially if they're free. Like take them if you're, try to get, try to audit the classes, try to get them for free. So you don't need any of their anything. You don't want any of their their, their class uh, materials. You don't need any fingerprinting. You don't need the, any range time. You're just looking for their instruction. And uh, in return, you'll do a review and you'll help get the word out about their class, right? So hopefully that's a, a worthwhile arrangement. And then you get to experience the instruction. You get to experience the class and you get to experience their curriculum. So, you know, what they say, how they say it, and you get to experience the classroom while they're doing all that. You'll meet people in your town who, you know, go to CCW classes, so they're either new or continuing, you know, re, re, renewing the permit or something, um, or they're just interested, right, or maybe whatever. So you'll meet some new people, which is always fun. They'll see that there's other people out there. The instructor will get a little bit of feedback from you or whatever. And then you can, like I say, you get to see their curriculum and their type of instruction. Now you do that maybe three times and then if I'm crazy, you don't like it, don't keep doing it. But do it at least three times. So I think by then you'd probably figure out what I'm talking about. But the um, what the instructor decides to talk about, how they decide to talk about it, and then how competent they are. Like, you know, what they want to do and what they're able to do are kind of two different things. So for me, and I suspect for Woods, don't go to the class thinking, I'm here to learn, because you know stuff, you're an adult. You're going there to experience, right? You're going there to, to see what, 
how they do it. Like, you know, like you're already an accomplished guitarist. You're going there to see how they teach jazz guitar. So if you think of it like that, then you'll probably get something out of a CCW class. But if you go to the CCW class, it's like, I'm going to try to act like I've never shot a gun before. Then I think it just seems like awkward. And I think you're going to end up like a lot of people thinking that the class was boring and lame. But uh, that being said, CCW classes back in my day were much more, uh, here's what we got to do, right? Like, we know you don't need this, but here it is. And nowadays, I know they're a lot more like, you've never touched a gun before. So here it is. And that's needed, right? Because back in the day, nobody bought it. Nobody got a CCW new. You were already a gun person. And then you went to the advanced level to get your CCW. Nowadays, people are like, I'm new and I'm getting my CCW, which is fine. So you're going to get a different class than, than before. And I don't know if that's going to be fun or not. And then interesting or not. <clears throat> and then as far as the scope of instruction, you know, it's hard to say. A, a good CCW instructor knows a lot, but only offers enough for the class. Let's put it that way. And uh, if they try to shove too much into a basic class, it can get really awkward and lame. And then, uh, you know, if they just leave a, a new class sitting there hanging, that can be kind of annoying as well. Hopefully you don't run into anything like that. But um that's the thing. That's why I say go to three, because if you do run into even two like that, then the third one seems like amazing. And if you go to two really good ones, usually one of them sucks. The third one will suck. And that'll put you back into reality that it's not all fun and games. So that being said, the CCW classes, I would think of them as at least three period. That's what my advice is. First aid. That's a whole nother ball of wax. Um, I don't think you can ever get too much first aid, depending on how much you're interested in it. It's like learning radios and it's like learning how to grow food. There's no downside other than it takes time away from other things. So as long as it's interesting to you, you're learning something useful. I can't think of any witch doctor stuff out there that's useless. The, I don't really like stop the bleed, but... I know a lot of people don't care about it <clears throat> or don't care that it's anti-gun like me, but, um, you know, stop the bleed is a good start. I guess I would say work up to a wilderness EM, uh, wilderness first responder. It's below EMT, but it's literally the first thing below EMT. And it's the coolest, highest level thing, at least in my experience that you can do without having to, sign up for being some kind of emergency person or somebody's not going to look at you weird for having that credential and not being a paramedic but being a, a wilderness first responder is uh more than a first aid class and then a little bit extra because you're going to be away from a hospital or getting ready for a helicopter or something cool so uh you know, they're going to give you a little bit more than you'd, well, more than you'd get at a basic class, but a little less than you'd get in any kind of EMT. And it won't be eight hours of instruction for a six-month class or whatever. But yeah, you can't get too much first aid ever. It's a lot of fun. And then if you've got the ability or the time, I'd recommend taking a, an EMT class. It's super cool. You can lord it over everybody that you know more first aid than them. Uh, and then... Trains are more than guns. I like guns better than trains. So there.
Uh, I'm a month or two into training and owning. Right, huh? Let's see. Well, puppy is saying I learned from my father with an air pistol when I was probably six or seven. I can't I actually remember when I learned, but you know, it was before I can remember. It wasn't until my mid twenties trying regular pistols. Bought my first twenty five years ago. Now I have three. Bought one built and two rifles are built. Right on. So. Um, that's another thing, you know, we're talking firearms training and I'm sitting here thinking of mostly fighting pistol, you know, some kind of a defensive or fighting type of uh, class. But the, and then a little bit of the knife fighting and a little bit of the verbal judo thing, all fighting, though. There's definitely gunsmithing. I guess I kind of mentioned the uh, Glock Armorers course. There's uh, diagnosing and then there's... Uh, What's the word? Like there's diagnosing, fixing type of gunsmithing, but then there's also like uh, modifying and stippling and painting and engraving type of gunsmithing also. And you can have a lot of fun with that stuff or just upgrading parts and stuff like that kind of armorer work. There's quite a few different classes. Back in the day, you'd have to get like unofficial armorers classes because to get an official like factory armorers classes were pretty tough. I think now with as many competition shooters as there are and the ability of people to just decide not to be an official armor, uh, they've opened up the requirements or the prerequisites to be an official armor, I assume. But uh, yeah, again, you have an official armor certification in your uh, list of accomplishments is also nice. Like you don't have to take no, nothing from nobody once you're a gunsmith. I only get to the range once or twice a year. That's enough. I've never been in a dust storm. Well, I'm sorry for you. Uh, watch the movie Dune backwards, and then it's the same as being in a dust storm. Uh, let's see. I'm going to continue to go to training and keep learning. Right on. Uh, when I was in Texas, I was driving and I remember the car being covered. When I was younger, I would drive into the dust storms, and then I realized that it's essentially like driving into a big nature's sandblaster. But uh, my cars were bad back in the day. But nowadays, I wouldn't want to do that because it essentially can just sandblast all the paint off your car when you drive into it. Shooting without sights, I practice shooting from the hip. Point shooting. That's a thing. I don't do it, but I know people, it's, it's a thing. Tara's saying, I'm a point shooter, but I learned with old revolvers and like 1911s, both are perfect for it. Uh, and the saying, Emory is saying, that's what my instructor said. You should eventually be able to hit your target without sights. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, just get good at sights. That's what I'd say. Puppy is saying line of sight and now it's behind it. Yep. Boy, I'll be audited. It's an hour and a half in. Uh, I was wish I was interested back in the 70s. Well, my dad was teaching my brothers uh, via pro. 
Well, see, that's the thing. I don't know. Because we'd have been learning on old-fashioned goofy stuff back in the day, and I'm sure it would have applied to now, but there's a thing. The old people aren't good. They're just still doing it. The good people are randomly old and new. So everybody gets pretty good, and then a couple of people are just really, really good at the moment. I've uh, never regretted any class. Guns, water, Santa, never regretted any class. All have been worthwhile and fun. Hey, worthwhile fun. Uh, always had good classmates and instructors. Oh, interesting. All right, well, here's the deal. Let's talk about it. Uh, I'm not scared to talk about it. I've had bad instruction. My first CCW was a joke because it was at a time when we were fighting, uh, having to have CCW here in the first place when we were trying to get constitutional carry. And my CCW instructor was super anti having to do any kind of regulation. So uh, <clears throat> it was not a great class if you were interested in learning things. <laughs> it was a great class if you just wanted to screw around for the amount of time. So that one, I felt like uh, I needed to still take a class because that one was not a good class. And uh, that's what started getting me into it a little bit. Um, Plus, I was already doing stuff online, and I had been going to a lot of courses. I guess we could bring that up. After action is a, uh, a term for having a, uh, oh, I guess I need to put the right one in here. After action is having a, uh, a get together and a summary of the events after something has happened, right? To see what it's up. So I've always thought that was a great idea and not enough people do that. Not enough people look back at what they've already done to learn from it uh, or just to archive it, right? To, lay, to write it down. So starting back in the day, when I first started going to classes, I started to uh, archive them and I had the websites here. So it's two or 2006, seven, eight, nine, uh, before YouTube even started, uh, I was already uh, getting to where uh, if I wanted to go to a class or something, I could tell the instructor um, like, uh, hey, I'll, I'll cover your class on my websites and I'll put links and stuff. Back in the day, that was the equivalent of saying, I'll put it on my YouTube. And because there wasn't that many people with websites or anything. So uh, uh, I guess I'm saying I was able to attend quite a few classes. And in that time, aside from a couple of CCW classes, I agree with you, they were all very good. My classes were all very good. But I know people who... And I went to most of the classes free. Like I went to a couple of classes that I paid for over the years, but most of the time I was going free to cover the class uh, just to watch. So um, I know people that went to classes that paid good money for them and had very negative experiences. And not because they had bad instruction as much as the instructors were there to be on stage and performed. So instead of like Chris Costa is an example of the opposite. 
Chris Costa has a great time. He's a he's a really funny dude. He's doesn't take things super seriously. Uh, at the time that I was where you know we were friends or whatever more, um, you know he was hanging out in Tucson a lot more often. I guess I should say. So I had a chance to hang out with him much more often. Back then he uh, was definitely getting wailed on by the internet. And uh, again, if you don't real remember this or if you weren't paying attention back then, uh, there's been times that the internet has decided somebody's a jerk or like they don't like this person or this person's gonna work and make fun of them and stuff. And usually when stuff like that happens on a industry or community level, the person getting the abuse books out of there. They leave, right? That's the end of it. And with a couple of people, it's been like, you know, a change in their thing or they've pivoted to something else. They stuck around, but they've kind of changed their direction or something. But uh, um, Chris is, uh, uh, was again, like a pillar. He didn't have to change or nothing. So Anyhow, he's an example of a class where I think I've already mentioned that, you know, he's got an actual different thing that he brings to the table. He's all about that. Uh, forget how he describes it, but essentially being quick and using your time for what matters instead of taking what's left after you did something without any strategy. So again, if you've got to go prone and take a shot at, and you've got three seconds to do it, he's going to suggest that you jump around as fast as possible so that you've got two seconds to take that shot instead of farting around for two and a half seconds getting to the ground so that you have to take a half second shot. And it's not the best way to do it. It's not the only way to do it, but it is a different way of approaching things. And that's not his only thing, but that's a way to describe Chris compared to somebody else. Um, Masada Yub does an hour here to, or what is it, half a day here, half a day on the range, half a day here, half a day on the range. You know, there's people have their different styles and stuff. Um, so anyway, so that's where I'm getting at, is the, the people that have had bad instruction have been kind of uh, uh, not satisfied with the amount of instruction versus the amount of just shooting the shit and like, oh, you're you paid money to be here with me and I'm just going to hang out. And, you know, you already know how to shoot, so we're not going to put much emphasis on that. We're just going to hang out and shoot guns and look at each other's gear and stuff like that. And for somebody who's going to actually be a student and learn something from the person and, you know, that wasn't understood ahead of time, that it was just going to be a bullshit session with the famous person then uh you know i consider that pretty bad instruct pretty bad classes um and because the students at the class were all there just to hang out with the famous person the um the person i know the student i know had just a miserable time because it was two of them that went together to be at this class to experience this person's training and it turned out to just be this person farting around and you know, being a celebrity and <clears throat> very little training at all. It was just, I mean, the basics, but just the generic basics, nothing, nothing with any kind of extra perspective or insight or anything other than, hey, I'm telling it to you. 
All right. And uh, I don't know if these are an interesting one or not. We've had a bunch of people hanging out tonight. So thank you. I appreciate the feedback. Uh, I do these every once in a while. I decided to do training again because it's been a while since I've talked about it. Like I say, there's definitely people out there that won't listen to this show because they hate training so bad. Like it hurt them. Like training stepped on them or did something mean to them or it did something mean to someone in front of them. Uh, but Trump somehow training hurt them and they'll just never like training. And then other people can't get enough of it. Like they just won't shut up about it. And uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and like I say, for what I've been trying to explain here for lots of different reasons. Uh, let's see. Worthwhile fun is saying that's exactly the reason for the channel name. Um, because again, Gunswater's thing was I've never regretted any class. All have been worthwhile and fun. Right on. Well, I guess if you consider shooting a gun worthwhile fun, then I get what you're saying. Uh, do you mind if I show that testimony today? Because we can uh, chat about that if you don't mind. I'm going to play that in a minute here. <clears throat> Unless Susan says I can't, I'm going to go ahead and play it. And then you all can watch her testimony, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about a couple of elements of it. A uh, good lover man can beat. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Like, for real? Come on. Uh, oh, you just you just met Worthwhile? You're going to enjoy Worthwhile Fun's channel. Uh, let's see. The puppy is saying, visit more than one shop. Discuss what is available, what they're good for. Go home, do some research, ask people. You'll get a lot of info. Probably mind-boggling, but you can narrow it down. That's a great advice, too, yeah. You don't need to sign up for anything on the spot, right? Like if a class fills up, oh no, it's going to fill up. Do you care if I just show up and watch then? So, you know what I'm saying? Like you can show up and watch a class. You don't have to be a part of it. And if you go there and they're weird, you go there and they're just joking and laughing the whole time. And that's not your style. You go there and they're yelling at each other like drill sergeants or something. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with anything like that. Like you don't have to. You know what I mean? You don't have to pay first and then see. You're allowed to say, hey, do you have some videos of your classes? Can I, can I see what the experience is going to be like? Can you show me the curriculum? I didn't want to get into it, but uh, here's one way to evaluate if an instructor is useful or worthwhile or not. Um, I shouldn't say worthwhile. How about if they're, yeah, I think worthwhile is actually a good word for this one too, though. Um, ask them if they've got a... Uh, what kind of uh, written material you get as a student. I've only been to one class, two classes ever that have uh, three classes ever. And I've been to a lot of classes. Let's take a look at how many classes. Let's go back to after action. Is this on the screen now? Yeah, okay. So if I go back to after action, <clears throat> let's take a look at how many classes gave me something that I still have pieces of paper. I could say it, do it this way. Let's look at the ones that didn't. Okay, well, actually, Paul may have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, then maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Uh, I get something from them. 19. So, uh, like, half of these 
you don't get any oh shit i'll say a, a third of them a third of them you don't bring nothing home from the class the problem is at some point i quit going to different classes and i started going to the ones i like and the ones i like give you handouts but uh as i mentioned earlier there's like legal reasons there's like real reasons why you'd want to have something after attending a class and then just in the reality part of it um if you want to remember what happened at the class you, you know having some kind of handout so if you talk to an instructor and they go oh uh you can download some stuff just put that in your uh in your uh, calculations on you know where they're at as a uh yeah what, what you're going to have six months later when you're trying to remember what happened at that class. Puppy is saying, I live in Pennsylvania. Uh, a couple of years back, I took CC every class where I could get fingerprinted and photos to apply for a photo or a Florida and a Utah. Yeah, that's sort of, I did that too with one of them. Which is kind of cool. You can stack your CCWs, in other words. So um, the place in, we went to a front site one time and they do a thing where they go, okay, you were just doing a class. So depending on what class you did, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna take a look at what CCWs you want, what classes you've already taken. So we know what, what prerequisites or what requirements you've already accomplished. And then here's what's missing. You wanna take these three CCW classes or these three CCWs from these three different states and this is how much work you've done shooting and qualifying and whatever, just doing your normal class. So for this state, you need to do two things, a written test and this. For this state, you need to do a written test and you're good to go. On this state, all you need is a written test. And that, you know, so then, you know, you'd kind of have this menu and they'd say, here's all the different CCWs we can offer you. And it was Nevada, Utah, Arizona, some Florida, something east, maybe like, I don't know, Ohio or something. Like there was uh, a couple other ones. And when you look at them, the only thing I needed was Florida. Florida would have gave me Minnesota. Otherwise, my Utah and my Nevada and my Arizona gave me everything that you could get. Like I say, a Florida would have gave me Minnesota. And uh, eventually I did go to Minnesota, but... Uh, it would have been $135 for the Florida one, and my Utah was something like 50, and the the Nevada was something like 85. So at the time, I didn't have an extra 135 for the Florida one. But uh, yeah, when they stack like that, you can get um, like it, essentially Utah will stack on anything. So if you're applying for your CCW in your state, more than likely you're gonna you're gonna also accomplish the prerequisites for a Utah CCW. So if your instructor is a Utah CCW instructor and you go get your whatever state CCW, more than likely you also can apply for your Utah and just get your Utah also. Maybe you have to take a second test, but the test is going to be the same kind of stuff. So um, uh, getting the fingerprints and the photos and everything is a big chunk of it. And if you can get all that stuff at the same time, what is that called? Uh, you know, it's cheaper when you do them all at once type of thing, sometimes. So, uh, right on. Cool. Says the CCW class. Basically, check you're going to an index of all the required info, and much of it was a round table of Q&A. Yep, because most of the time, you're, 
it's like driving, you know, you, you need to know a whole bunch of stuff, but you're going to have to recall any number of things immediately and very, very rarely. So, you know, it's not worth having everybody learn every single thing all the time for the rare instance that anyone's going to need any of it. So the generalities, you know, just you don't have no consequences, right? You always have consequences. There's always laws just because you're caring and able to defend yourself, you know, doesn't mean anything crazy. So usually they just go over the basic kind of general stuff. And honestly, if you um, <clears throat> have gone to a couple of classes, you'll realize that CCW instructors are human beings. And if they are in a classroom with people that are capable and competent, then they just move on. They don't sit around talking about the basics. Usually, sometimes people are really weird about it, but most of the time, if they see that everybody's just competent and capable, they're gonna move on to whatever is interesting or might be you know, even advanced level or you know, next level at least, um, intermediate level. So uh, if you go to a class and they don't cover some of the basic stuff, I wouldn't immediately get all concerned. I would look around the room and make sure that nobody's getting left behind, but assuming everybody's you know, up to speed, then like I say, that's usually how they kind of adapt to the, to the students in the room. And hopefully that's what that meant here is that, you know, everybody was capable. So it just turned into a, a session more than a instruction, like lesson thing to just cover basics, you know. I am Marie Santa. I have first aid cover being in the health field four decades right on uh stop the bleed is anti i didn't know that i didn't spend money knowingly supporting antis i don't think they're antis as much as they like just casually they're like oh look this puppy has a gun violence blood or bullet wound like how do you know it's from gun violence you have a bunch of a-holes a what if it's just a bullet hole from some other reason but uh, I don't know. I don't like the way they just dismissed everything as gun violence. So to me, that meant subtle anti-gunnery. I don't think they're blatant anti-gun, but it's free, and I'll look for other options. <clears throat> but I'm uh, also not hosting classes or anything. If I was hosting classes and I needed to get people instruction, I'd probably default to their slightly or maybe not slightly anti-gun agenda. And it's not so much that they have an agenda, I guess I shouldn't say it that way either, but I think that they're casually anti-gun, which is either ignorant or complacent. <clears throat> Let's see, Gunswater saying in Pennsylvania, there are no required classes. I think that ups the game. Everybody is there because they want to be there. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's the kind of thing that most people don't think about it. But uh, if anybody's at a class right now, it's because they feel they need it or they want it. Emory is taking off. Get up early. Right on. Well, it'll pretty much end right now, so you'll be at the end of this. Or you'll be. Uh oh. He's freaking out, man. What are you freaking out about, puppy? What happened? Something come over here and bite you? You just freaked out. All right. Then, um, what's wrong with you, puppy? Minimum required standard gets you a lot of minimum effort. Yes, you won't.
he's not even pulling that tongue in. It's just like, I'm just hanging out with my tongue sticking out. Let's see. My last training was three levels of armed church security team member training. Well, then we did have an armed woman group do Milo Simulator. I don't know what that is, or maybe I do, but I don't know what it's called. I don't mind, but don't use your audience over it. Don't lose your audience. Oh, watching the video? Oh, no. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, because it is out there. Uh, let's see. Where I live, Puppy is saying, where I live, the only thing I got locally between Utah and Florida, I forgot which one gave it to me, was to be able to go to Delaware concealed. Oh, okay. Land jacked. You sound like you're in a situation that uh, Rick, from Rick, Rick's Life as I See It, or whatever he's called now, is um, uh, he, he was in Rhode Island, and he had to have something like seven CCWs in order to just move around. Yeah, I hear that. I don't want to talk smack about New Jersey, but I can understand not wanting to go to it. All right, here's what I'm going to do. We're kind of caught up. We still got some people. You're in for a treat. Not because of the, this. This isn't a treat. We're going to go over to my subscriptions and go back to a little while ago, five hours ago. And there's a couple of interesting things here. So this is about eight minutes long. And this is, uh, I'm just going to screen share it so you don't have to look at it through my camera here. This is uh, Worthwhile Fun, who's been in the chat here tonight. This is her testimony at Missouri uh, how, uh, State House of Representatives. Yeah, House Bill, House of Representatives. And um, it's an interesting, it's a good testimonial, but it has also got some points that I'm going to bring up two hours, an hour, yeah, two hours into this show, but I don't care. I'll probably bring it up in a second video, a separate video, if you're okay with that also. So I'll bring it over here. We'll make it full screen and listen to it. Make sure you submit your witness form. Say your name, proceed when you're ready. I submitted one earlier and online, overachiever. Um, thank you, Chairman, members of the committee, and special guests. Um, Susan Myers of the 131st, also two and a half hours away. As a woman who conceal carries and volunteers my time to help educate and train other women in the use of firearms, I have to tell you that I find the concept of gun-free zones to be repugnant. You disarm us in the name of imaginary safety, leaving us without adequate means of self-defense should we face a threat. A threat, mind you, that does not and will not obey any law you might conceive and subject the rest of us to. That is such an effective opening statement there. And I got to give it to Missouri for giving a video from one angle of you testifying, but then also, and you can kind of see who's behind you to see their steel. But really, you can see all these representatives here, and they're uh, 
focus on what you're saying. I don't know about this guy. Is he even a person? I think he is. Every person here has got eye contact with you and they're leaning forward as if to give a shit about what you're saying. They're either acting really good or they're actually paying attention except for blonde lady and red tie over here. But uh, that's my first perceptions of it. And that first 50 seconds, I mean, I don't think you could have picked more effective words. It wasn't like too much, but it was also like 100% useful words. Every time a woman has to take public transit, you this restrictive policy forces them to be unarmed, not just while on that bus or train, but throughout her day. This is wrong and this ban, along with many others, needs to be lifted. With the Supreme Court's Bruin decision last June, we were reminded that many of these sensitive places carry bans will likely not withstand the text and history tests they need to pass in order to not be found in violation of our Second Amendment. So now you lost, Red Tie was never paying attention. This dude's, hopefully he's playing with his phone or something down there. This guy playing with his phone. This guy playing with his phone. She's playing with her hair. She's still not paying attention. But you've still got one, two, three, four, definitely paying attention. It is my hope that both chambers of this legislative body will finally see the time as right and get out in front of an eventual SCOTUS ruling on gun-free zones. There will be arguments put forth in strenuous opposition to this bill. Let me remind the committee and everyone testifying that interest balancing was undertaken by our founders, who then proceeded to include the Second Amendment as written. As such, interest balancing of perceived public safety concerns outweighing the right of an individual is no longer an allowable excuse to infringe upon our unalienable rights. So let me bring this back to why I'm here. 27% of female fire owners have used a firearm in self-defense. We are not defenseless females. That is, except when you disarm us. Ouch, that was excellent. So it looks like you got her back from playing with her hair. This dude's still here. This guy's still here. This guy's still here. This guy smiled a bunch of times. Lady in the back is there to keep records. Oh, okay. So she's not, she doesn't count. So, and this guy's paying attention now. So you got everybody's attention. This guy looked up when you go, except for when you disarm us. So I think he brought up good points there because these are a bunch of sexists who think that all females are just victims only. And uh, I think you challenged them there. And then uh, you got all their eyes at that last point there. Thank you. And was I the one you... And that was the end of your testimony, I guess, period. So that was a great way to end it with uh, we're not... Dis, we're not victims until you disarm us. That was excellent. Wanted to mention the number of states. You said the word expert and that threw me. So I thought someone else was here. Um, as of last year before Bruin, I wondered, and I had to go and look myself, look up each, each state's restricted location. So this is the state of Missouri, a, a state where there's been riots and a bunch of concern and a state where you've had reactive laws. This is a state that's got, <clears throat> right now you're testifying 
for CCW on public transportation. They're trying to outlaw, they're trying to infringe CCW on public transportation with the implication that criminals are going to see that you're not allowed to carry on a bus and say, oh, I'm not going to carry on the bus anymore. Or criminals are going to get charged for having a gun on the bus and that gun charge is going to stick in this case, even though it's the first case dropped and first charges dropped almost always. And we know that from literally from history. <clears throat> it's a state where all kinds of stuff have been going on. And in reality, we see how many people in this room. Well, Susan can tell us how many people were in this room with her, but we see her having testimony to one guy who's kind of paying attention with the red tie, blue tie here, uh, beard, hair, guy who smiled, guy who was playing with his phone a minute ago. You can see the evidence of it in his right hand right here. Guy who's still playing on his phone, other beard guy, and then the other guy who's paying attention the whole time. So what are we talking? Three, six, nine people are responsible for making this decision for the committee that they're going to bring to the rest of the house. And Susan is the one person. This is this is civic period. This is it. This is what civics is. This is individuals taking time, influencing the opinion of nine people who are going to influence however many, 100 or something. And that's going to be the results of this. So I don't know if you, I didn't see anything in the comments or anything, but like how many moms were there? How many Bloomberg employees were there, so to speak? And how many people were there on your side? But what I see is Susan got there on her own time, took her own time to get there, paid for herself to be there, and then got herself prepared and you know got here and then did it. And now is hanging out talking about it hours after. <clears throat> Anyway, so that was the part where she did her testimony, and now somebody had asked a question, and she was providing some follow-up with details from someone else's testimony, I think. Only three states before Bruin restrict... I don't know why you're calling it Bruin. Call it the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. All right, go ahead. I guess you can call it Bruin since you're the one there. ...did carry on public transit. Missouri, New Mexico and Illinois, and then you can throw in DC, but they're not a state. Um, after Bruin, then you get the- Even though you're calling it Bruin, the way you casually own the knowledge and disseminate it here is, is what the DC project is all about. These people, these representatives require information from competent sources and you are, Susan is, offering that competence right here. One person showing up in front of nine. Seems like all we need to do is get nine more Susans and we win, right? Per state. So that's like 450 people and we win. That should be pretty simple. Likes of New York, New Jersey, Hawaii, and others, you know, scrambling to be like Missouri. And that really bugs the snot out. So a couple of them smiled, and I don't think that argument's going to work if they want to be the blueprint for tyranny or whatever they'd call it, the blueprint for infringement or whatever, right? Like, that that's the only thing I would give you a critique on there. They'd probably dig that. Thank you very much. Are there any questions for the members of the committee? 
this is the part where I wanted to bring it up because this restart to get, get they started to hork my gears. Representative Johnson. Have you ever had a broken arm? Well, if you haven't had a broken arm, what are you going to tell me about having like what the hell kind of question is that? <clears throat> what the hell was that? My phone just made a weird noise. Hold on. I think my phone just made that weird noise at me. Um, okay, I think I was going to read these comments. <clears throat> All right, blind ladies there to keep records. Not happy with that last election. Thought we, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, not very good job. Or anyway, Gunswater saying very good job speaking. Thank you very much for saying that because I agree. Let's see, Worthwhile Fund is now saying all but the four Dems on the committee will pass the bill. So attention or not, they'll vote right. All but the four, okay. So you're saying the ones that aren't paying attention just don't care because they're voting for you and they don't need to hear you tell them why. That's fine. Actually, one Dem on this committee has voted for the bill that's good to hear. No moms yesterday. They had been there the day before for rallying photos. Oh, okay. That's lame. So did they get more turnout or was it the same nine people in the committee from the representatives? Like did, were there more representatives turned out for that, for the moms demand uh, photo op? Okay. So the question you were just asked is, how can you tell us about rights when you've never even driven a bus before? I do not. Um, and so, as, but I did not feel the need to, that I had to go and ride it in order to be here because I have kind of taken it upon. First off, you could have just been like and walked off because that lady had no right, no business suggesting that you have to ride a bus to understand the to have empathy for people who ride a bus kind of taken it upon myself to be the female firearm enthusiast voice on every firearms bill that comes up around here because i saw that there was a lack of that and with the work i do with a couple of um nonpartisan organizations that have to do with women and firearms. Um, I have met a lot of women, and so I put myself in their situation. Right on. She's explaining why she's there. And look at how many of these people are listening to every word she's saying. And how many of them have to. How many of them are choosing to versus how many of them feel some obligation or because they're constituents. Susan just told us that the people who are already voting for were the half the ones looking at their phones. So the ones that are here for her have no constituents that care what we're doing right here. And the ones that are against 
no, that are for the bill is to allow. So the ones that are against the bill, you would think are going to try to act like whatever she's saying is nothing. So they're going to be looking at their phones right now. But instead, it looks like, I don't know if these, I don't know who's who in here, but I can tell you that this guy is paying attention. He sat down. He wasn't even here before. She came back and sat down and she's paying attention. She's at least being courteous, if not intent, you know, intent. This guy, I'm pretty sure, is the guy that's about to rag on you. And he's being at least uh, polite and gracious. He's listening. He's certainly listening to everything you're saying. I'm sure he's about to think he's the guy who's about to rag on you, though. I don't know her deal. She keeps, she's at least stopped playing with her hair, though. And then this guy, he's smiling like he's glad you're there. This guy, I feel like this guy is honestly glad you're there speaking his mind for him. That's what the, I'm getting out of that guy's face. This guy's been paying attention the entire time, so I'm assuming it's something similar. And this guy every once in a while looks up from whatever he's playing with behind the table there. And uh, I don't know if he works there or if he's supposed to be there. And this guy who's been playing on his phone off and on stopped. This guy playing on his phone half the time stopped. And this guy has been listening for a while now. This guy's also been listening. So every one of them is like listening to this part where you essentially said, I'm standing I'm here for the ladies that aren't represented typically on these things. Um, I testified a couple weeks ago on an anti-red flag bill um, because of the women I know coming from domestic violence who have had red flags used against them to disarm them by their abuser. So so I haven't been. So what you did is explain why you're there so often as a champion for these bills as a female. And you mentioned that red flag laws have been used against the victims by the abusers. And you couldn't have been more clear. You said that the red flag laws have been used as weapons by the abusers against the victims and abused domestically either but i did not feel apologetic for speaking on that as well thank you Ms. so you were explaining why you were here to speak about the points that the last person had asked you about and now they're going to ask you if there's any other questions about riding on public transportation with concealed carry additional questions this guy Representative Brown. Thank you. Good evening. I don't know what the term for this bullshit is, but this is bullshit. This is flim flam. You are too effective. We need to divert the conversation and slander or whatever the word is. Thank you for being here. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I really understand what you say about a woman having a concealed carry because I know a lot of women who do carry concealed weapons. Uh, now, you heard me mention about being a school teacher, and I'll admit, as a school teacher, I actually knew teachers who brought guns to school in their purse, okay, because they felt they, they didn't feel safe. Um, as someone you know, who trains women, I am not a fan of purse carry. I won't tell them yeah. they absolutely can't do it, but I can work with them and give them much better. Yeah, I, I, I can always think back to my first. See, that's what happens when you're a gun nerd. So that's going to happen. Probably shouldn't have done that because this guy 
isn't tracking. He's he's a shark. He's coming in for the kill right now. First year of teaching school when I was teaching at Westport Middle School. He's trying to be nice. Um, we got metal detectors maybe about two or three weeks after school had started. And the first day we put in metal detectors, we found five guns in the bushes. And we're talking about six, seven, eighth graders carrying guns. And so the gun-free zone actually made a lot of teachers feel safer um, because there you're encouraged not to have guns, whereas this legislation encourages you to carry a gun. So first he says, hey, let's let's agree on these gun-free zones are going to make people feel safer because I know ladies who have guns. My answer to you on all of those type things is interest balancing. No. You know, it, you know, again, I won't apologize for someone else's feeling good or bad about something should not disarm me. And that's just where I'm at on it. So, well, uh, no one's going to try to disarm you. So here's this little pander. Um, you know, I heard you talk it's about, a, it's a class D felony. Well, if you know, well, when I if say a disarm, woman in a dangerous neighborhood or who has a active stalker, you know, she would have to decide to take the bus to get to and from work, to carry, to have a means to defend herself or face a class D felony if she gets caught. Yeah, I think you're disarming. Bam! If this was a sword fight and this sucker just came at you with some kind of big ass sword, you just flung his sword across the room and now you got his sword you're pointing your sword up against his throat and he's all like what like what this that was awesome so now like typical politician let's go let's see what happens here so you're talking about domestic abuse. boom let's vilify you let's associate you with bad guys did you know in the state of missouri if you are convicted of domestic abuse you can want a firearm even if federal law says you can't bullshit liar so first off you lost really bad it was sad how bad you lost and now the only thing you can do is lie and try to change the subject into like some kind of lie bill whatever's going on here you can't. on a misdemeanor charge yeah. correct if i don't know what specifically that um misdemeanor charge is if it's if it's a bad enough charge make it a felony um you know yeah. fix it fix it that way you see I, i've got a bill out there that will uh, it just mirrors the federal law that says if you if you've been convicted you can't have this firearm and I always say that the only person that should be fighting me on this is a wife beater. Wife beaters are the ones that should be fighting me on this, not, not the legislature. <laughs> what an asshole. So it's like, okay, I lost. Let me let me get let me get a jab in there. Oh, I lost even worse, and I lost my sword and I look like a punk. I know. I'm gonna say wife beater a bunch of times. What an asshole. I don't think a misdemeanor should make you lose your gun rights. But like I said, I don't know the specific um, crime that has been acted upon a woman or a, a woman acted upon a man, whatever that is. If it's bad enough, make it a felony. Yeah, well, in my opinion, domestic abuse on a woman is terrible. Yeah. Okay, and I don't know why you would allow an abuser 
to own a firearm in the state. It makes no sense to me. Assume it's because of the misdemeanor. Uh, it makes no sense. So I appreciate you being here. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Additional questions. Thank you very much for testimony. I appreciate it. What a, what a lame dude. <clears throat> so that was pretty awesome. He did listen. At least he acted like he listened. He was being a nice guy as he was listening or whatever. But then the end there, he just got wailed on by you. And then uh, I guess because he's such a wuss, he just uh, decided to throw, say wife beater a bunch of times. So uh, interesting. Thanks for being there. Seven minutes. How long did it take you to get there versus how long did it take you to get home versus how long were you sitting there for seven minutes and 59 seconds with the testimony? You don't have to answer, but everybody knows she was sitting there for hours and it took her hours to get there and hours to leave. And then that whole time she was not doing whatever she does for a living or hanging out with her family or just enjoying guns or whatever she'd rather be doing. So thank you very much for, uh, for doing that for all of us and for the people that come next, because that's who you're doing it for. We all know that. So, um, yeah, that was an extra piece at the end there. thought that was pretty good. Thanks for posting that. I keep saying this, <clears throat> back when I was a kid, when I was this puppy's age, we had Annie Oakley. Um, well, we had Annie Oakley. There might have been a, oh, you know who else there was? The Terminator, the mom from Terminator. And I don't know who else a girl would have looked up to, maybe like Kim Rhodes or somebody. You know, the Olympic medalists, there's a couple of Olympic medalists we can, I guess I'm two clicks away from them, but uh, there wasn't that many female uh, people in the female, in the gun community, females. And now <clears throat> little girls got uh, people like uh, Worthwhile Fun to look up to. It's going to be a different world going forward. And these politicians, what are they, they're listening to the, you know, future politicians are listening to this. So they're going to know that, <clears throat> I guess I got to drink something. We'll have to end this because I don't have anything else to drink. Um, you know, these future politicians that are watching this are going to know they either have to come in with actual, to do some actual work, bring something to the table that actually accomplishes something, uh, or they're just not even going to show up. So uh, you're not just a role model, but you're also challenging the politicians at tomorrow that they can't just show up and bully people. This was obvious as shit that that guy didn't have any idea of what he was really talking about, was throwing uh, jargon at you, was throwing boilerplate at you. And then uh, as soon as he figured out that he was ended, that you, you parried every one of his lame attacks, he had to resort to calling names and accusations that were unfounded, just lame accusations. Totally weak, totally weak. Um, two and a half hours each way, 12 hours at the Capitol. Holy shit. You're saying you were at the Capitol for 12 hours and five hours of driving? That's awesome. Thank you for that. All right. Well, it was easy for me to sit here and talk about it. I'm just sitting here paying my, petting my dog and talking about it on the internet, but you actually did all the work. So thanks for that. Um, we talked about training tonight. 
And here's the thing. Training is like learning the guitar or whatever. A lot of people are, you know, it's just like learning a gun. It's like literally you can buy the gun and you can take it to the range and you can get really good at shooting it at the center of the paper. But an elk isn't the center of a paper. Like a trophy isn't the center of a paper. It's the center of a paper in the wind, you know, after a rain at a place that you had to drive to like there's there's always going to be more to it so uh you know having the item and practicing with it is one thing but uh getting advice from an expert getting coaching and not just watching anybody can watch a baseball game like everybody watches baseball and football is everybody really good at baseball and football because they watch the games all the time so watching training is one thing paying an instructor to coach you is is playing it like it's doing it it's not just watching it it's it's participating in it so there's no way to explain that to anybody who hasn't done it before but uh people are going to um you know there's always going to be that hurdle once you've hit that threshold though and you start to uh enjoy and start to experience shooting or training and uh, start to experience it a little bit. Um, it can be a lot, a lot of fun. It can, it can add layers and, and, and depth to your shooting that you never even thought of before. Think about being a gunsmith. Once you're a gunsmith, you never look at a gun the same way again. Once you can play a guitar really well, you don't look at guitars the same way anymore. Right? So, um, you know, you've got, you're adding more to your, to your experience, your level of experience and stuff. You're able to offer more when you have conversations or when you're bringing stuff to, you know, to the next, to whatever, friends and family when you're dealing with stuff. All right. So uh, again, Wynn, thanks everybody. You're kind of getting some comments here from the politician there at the end there. Problem with politicians like him use what the platform says believes it i don't know if they believe it and that's the thing you can kind of tell when you're there but sometimes but not always i've also seen people with so much makeup and weirdness and just you know time on the clock with their poker face that it is hard to tell but uh if it is just his platform i mean he's certainly listening to you he must have understood your position that when you brought up when, Su when susan brought up the idea that when you prohibit a lady from carrying on public transportation, that means she cannot carry on her way to work. You've also disarmed her at work. You don't just disarm her on the bus, you disarm her wherever she's going. And you brought that up and that sunk into that guy. He heard that. He may have regurgitated his boilerplate party line because he felt some obligation or he thought maybe that would bully you away and you'd never come back again or something, but uh, it, glad it didn't. But uh, you know, he really did look like he was listening. And that's all you can ask is for the other side to understand our position. Even if it's just so that they can come up with a challenge to that position, at least they've understood because that means the people that are listening and the people that are paying attention are also understanding, right? That's what's changing the game. That's what's changing the playing field. Uh, here's one last thing I'll throw out here before we leave. If you're listening to this in the future, if you're listening to this tonight, 
How come nobody's talking about Washington other than to try to keep score? How come nobody's talking about New Jersey or Massachusetts or what's happening in California? We only hear about the court cases when they're about to break or when they've just broke or when they're being launched. There's more to it than that. We can be doing a lot more. We don't have to be satisfied with observing. This is 2023. We have a participatory internet that allows us to do things both ways. Our national level organization should be more multitasked or we should have more of them. But uh, don't be complacent and don't think that we have to stop with where we are. Take some, uh, some inspiration and some motivation from Susan's testimony right now that we just watched and uh, get, get in the game, value your voice. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week with what everybody uh, else has been doing this week. I've been pretty busy and missed one of our own shows this week. Uh, we do have free patch Friday tomorrow, so I'll end this thing with a commercial for our store. I guarantee you're going to get more free patches from us than anybody else. I brought a bunch of patches home from SHOT Show. I keep buying patches from people, and our free patch Friday stuff is growing. <clears throat> so uh, purchase stuff from our store. It keeps our bills paid and allows us to keep working on stuff like this. And some of it's pretty cool stuff. And like I say, you'll get tons of free patches uh, when you order on Fridays. Actually, when you order anytime, we're going to give you free patches. So with that, we'll wrap this one up. And give the puppy a pat on the head for everybody. We'll see you in the morning or tomorrow. And, oh, I had the thing all queued up and then I clicked off. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is free patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com.